Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, reporting from Austin, Texas, the home of South by Southwest EDU. Hook them horns, look out for those bats, eat well, and have a good time. We'll follow up more on South by Southwest EDU in upcoming episodes. Suffice it to say, it was great to see old friends and make a few new ones. I got to say, I was slightly overwhelmed by being around that many humans at one point in time as a self-professed ambivert, where I'm a big believer in extroversion and introversion being contextual. My introversion bat signal started to kick in. I don't think it was triggered necessarily by the Congress street bats, but maybe there were. For those of you who haven't been to Austin, there are bats that congregate under the Congress street bridge. And they purportedly fly out in a big swarm that's wonderful to see, but that's in the warmer months. And as someone who's been to Austin three times in the last seven years, I still have not seen the bats. Partly because I haven't always gone to the Congress Street Bridge for a sunset, but partly because it's cold and I think the bats know better. From what I hear, it's more of a late March until late summer activity. So no bats for me. The bat cave under the Congress Street Bridge is mostly quiet these days. And so was Austin to some extent, although I did get a little bit of time on Rainy Street. Saw some folks I hadn't seen in a while. Was able to get together with Dan Harrison, Tarlin Ray, and we were able to remote Terry Givens in for a great session. That all went well. More to come. Last piece on South by Southwest is that I did see Secretary Miguel Cardona have a really great keynote session this morning with three students in the Texas area around Austin. One was a high school senior, one had enrolled in a community college here, and one was enrolled in UT Austin. And I was really struck by how important it is to get student voices into the conversation about education, especially when you're talking about things like policy and what our students need. Because too often we have conversations about people without those people being in the room. And frequently those conversations are cut according to age, which is something I'm very conscious of. I know it's something that me and Justin Nguyen talked about on a recent episode of Trending in Education. I was happy to see Justin down here. I was happy that he got a spot on the podcast stage, which was awesome. All the sessions seemed great. It was really fantastic to see Ron Reed and Greg Rosenbaum again. We'll be talking about the South by Southwest EDU session that we have. We're hoping to get that audio together for an upcoming episode. But that's the first point. Austin, great. Bats, cold. Me, getting through the conference experience, but still ramping back up. As someone who spent a lot of time at home with his wife and young son through the pandemic years, this was my first big foray out into the great wide world around us. And it was challenging at times. Another friend of the show, Karen Costa, has been doing some interesting work on Twitter and LinkedIn, where she's talking about how we need to reimagine conferences and think about access and inclusion and neurodiversity and costs. All really interesting questions. Also looking at the sponsorship of conferences. I will say, I think South by Southwest EDU does a nice job on 
many of those fronts. Check out what Karen's doing over there and, and really lean in if you can to help add to that conversation. All that being said, let's now transition to the primary topic of today's episode. And this one may be brief because I am in the Airbnb and it is my last night in Austin. Also, apologies if the audio is not as fantastic as it is when it's from my home. The main topic of today's episode is an article in Fast Company written by Pavithra Mohan. Its full title is The 10 Most Innovative Education Companies of 2022. With everything from online classes and digital textbooks to AI tutors, the most innovative education companies like Duolingo and Coursera are transforming how we learn. I thought this was a very zeitgeisty topic, as I like to say. It also was very much in line with the spirit of the troops here at South by Southwest EDU. We're all ready to lean into the future. We've been anticipating us turning the page, turning the corner, coming out of the tunnel, and we keep on being fooled. We think we're out, and it turns out we're still in. It reminds me of Al Pacino from The Godfather 3. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. That this article is a good wake-up call to remind us that the world is changing. Sometimes we just fail to notice it. It's like the old saw about the frog being boiled slowly. Except it's not always a negative thing. It's not always that you don't notice the bad things that are putting you at risk. Sometimes you don't really notice the progress. A couple books I'm checking out lately that we may cover more and I would recommend. One is called The Power of Regret by Daniel Pink, and the other is called The Gap in the Game by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. That one was also recommended to me by Shannon Clute, who was a friend of the show, was on a little while back. He's at the Hatchery, the Innovation Lab at Emory University. I do want to get Shannon back on the show because he does provide great insight and recommendations like this book. But they're all reminiscent of some of what I've talked about around Adam Grant's book called Think Again, which is that our intuitive perception of things is frequently misguided, that we need to reevaluate our thinking, overcome our cognitive biases, and figure out better ways to process information, understand where we are, and plan for the future. And in both The Power of Regret and The Gap in the Gain, there's a lot of attention to the importance of looking backwards, thinking about counterfactuals, thinking about how things might have gone differently, and in the case of the gap in the gain, thinking about all that you've accomplished as opposed to all that you need to do that is on your horizon. The idea is that high achievers frequently are more forward-thinking, trying to understand what they need to do next, and they lose sight of what they've actually accomplished. And I think that's somewhat true coming out of the pandemic. That's why articles and conversations that help us both remember what we're doing and what we've accomplished and also position that in a somewhat positive light so that we understand there is progress happening. There are ways in which the world is getting better, is increasingly important as the war in the Ukraine 
is happening. The pandemic is lingering onward and it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to get frustrated. At South by Southwest EDU, for example, there were a lot of conversations about the demoralization and great resignation that is happening within our teaching ranks and the general perception that teachers are not being provided with enough support. All of that is true and much more needs to be done to support them and to support anyone who is trying to make a difference in the educational ecosystem. But it's also important to showcase and highlight where progress is being made and where organizations like the 10 highlighted in the Fast Company article are actually changing the way we understand education and we understand the future of learning. With that, I'm going to quickly run through Parvita's article, which begins with the number one company. I'm going to follow the order that was outlined here. I'm frequently used to countdowns. This is a bit of a count up. But the number one most innovative education company for 2022, according to Fast Company, is Maven. And now Maven I've heard a little bit about, but this is another reason for me to double down on my research. I will be reaching out to all 10 of these companies to try to get them to appear in some fashion on Trending in Ed in the upcoming episodes. But Maven is one that empowers creators to monetize their expertise as courses. There are many platforms that do this. Maven was founded by Udemy co-founder Gagan Biani and partner Wes Cow, who's the co-founder of Vault MBA. And Maven is somewhat different in that it emphasizes real-time peer-to-peer learning rather than the traditional asynchronous mode. And it further distinguishes itself by requiring its instructors to ramp up on cohort-based teaching and how to recruit people. Like any great platform of this nature, I recently talked to Karthik Ganesekaran from Udemy, who is perhaps the industry leader in this space. They need to be responsive to the emerging skills economy and how those skills are being disrupted and transformed through emerging technologies like the blockchain, AR, VR, and artificial intelligence. Maven is responding to those changes and is positioning itself differently. It's almost like a new generation MOOC founded by successful entrepreneurs who led established industry leaders like Udemy and AltMBA. Maven is one to look at. Hopefully we'll be able to get some representation from Maven on an upcoming episode. Number two is Duolingo, the language learning app that has now evolved to become a testing app of language proficiency. This was interesting to me, mainly because it's a company that I've been tracking since, since really the early 2010s. And it's one that has been evolving in some really interesting ways. We did have Kumar Garg on the show who singled Duolingo out in the disruptive power of its move into assessments, which is something that was highlighted in the Fast Company article. And it's one that I think will continue to evolve as you're thinking about how to establish competencies and credential learners 
leveraging a really efficient mobile app as opposed to the more traditional classroom-based, proctored exam, go to a testing center. Those models are becoming somewhat outmoded. Clearly there's challenges with online delivery, but I do think Duolingo, aside from the sticky, engaging user experience that makes language learning fun, leverages spaced repetition algorithms, does all the good things for the individual learner. The fact that they're beginning to disrupt the testing ecosystem is certainly a trend to continue to watch. And it's one that will continue to monitor and ideally get some folks from Duolingo on the show to talk about what they're thinking. Coursera is number three. Coursera is among the biggest dogs in the education ecosystem. They had their IPO in 2021. They attracted many new enterprise customers last year. We've talked a lot about learning as a benefit. This is something that Coursera is moving towards, which makes a ton of sense. They also are huge in India and with the pandemic, the move to online learning and with the great reshuffle and the need for folks to upskill, reskill themselves. They are certainly a player to watch and one that will continue to track and ideally get some representation on upcoming episodes as well. Pearson was a surprising choice for me. They came in at number four. They've been around for many, many years. And while they're best known as a textbook publisher, the way we understand textbooks has been transformed and they are much more of a digital first textbook company. According to the Fast Company article, in 2021, 70% of Pearson's higher education revenue came from digital products, up from 50% four years prior. They also recently launched Pearson Plus, which is an e-textbook platform for college students that uses a pay-as-you-go subscription model to provide access to content. One of the themes that's been coming up a bunch here at South by Southwest EDU is how broken the model of higher education may be, and among the many challenges, perhaps the, the most primary one is the problem of the costs of higher education. And that's not just tuition. Uh, I, I think educational publishing, textbooks, et cetera, are all driving the really difficult decisions that young people are making and folks really throughout their lives are making around whether to pursue that degree or whether to find their upskilling and their career pathing through other more cost-effective avenues. It's a topic that was prevalent down here. It's a theme that we've been talking about a bunch on this show, and it's one that we'll continue to track as we move forward. The number five company I hadn't heard of, it's Trala. And according to this article, Trala is listed for adding rosin to the bow of online music instruction. So I may need to get Parvitha on the show because this is a well-written article and it's also relatively concise. It's a quick read. We'll include it in the show notes. Lots of cool stuff happening. Trala was founded in 2017 and its goal is to make music education affordable, accessible especially for adult learners who want to learn the violin either for the first time or to pick it up again after leaving it alone for many years. We've talked many different 
times of late of the importance of not just STEM, but also the arts and music education is something that has been a theme on trending in education. It was a theme that was discussed in several of the sessions that I attended here at South by Southwest EDU. And I think it's something that will continue to be relevant. And from what Fast Company is reporting, Trellis seems to be finding its audience with over 400,000 downloads across 193 countries. In many ways, Trala is picking up on the successes of Duolingo and they had a new round of funding from Duolingo CEO, Luis Vanan and other tech ex execs at companies like Airbnb, LinkedIn, and Coinbase. So Trala is perhaps the first mover in the Duolingo of music space, which is one that I think as a real upside, if you think about how apps and games like Guitar Hero were all the rage at one point, what if that were a little more curricular, a little more instructionally designed, but leveraging an app-based mode and allowing the learner to ramp up and engage in the fullness of humanity, which very much includes the arts and music. Number six is my favorite in the top 10 because we are a user and I've referenced them several times on the show. We will be reaching out to get representation from Love Every on an upcoming episode. Love Every, who makes Love Every Baby products, are something I am a huge net promoter of. They, in many ways, helped make the early years of raising our son much more manageable. They provide a stitch fix like package to your home each month as the parent of a young child, really in that zero to three window, which I'm now happily through, although I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was an amazing experience, but it's challenging. And it's nice that there is an end to that phase and you enter into other phases, which they all present their own amazing opportunities and challenges. But Love Every did an amazing job for us in providing non-digital Montessori-inspired toys, well-crafted, shipped to your home, nice editorial presence in which they're speaking to you as a parent. They occasionally even provide you a little gift or a knickknack within the package to remind you that you will get through this. And at a time when we were all suffering from a lot of isolation, in my case, my wife and I really were on our own to raise our child over the two years of the pandemic, really age one to three. And if we didn't have that light at the end of every month, when we would get a new shipment, we've now transitioned that into KiwiCo, which is another company that didn't quite make the list, but it's another one that I think could have been here. They've been around a little longer and they focus on perhaps a slightly older demographic. So maybe they're not as innovative in that respect, but it's the same concept. The idea of shipping something physical, tangible to your home, something that parents can engage with their kids. They're not on screens, they're learning. It's developmentally appropriate based on your child's age. I recommend it highly. They've recently introduced a line of toys at Target, making it more accessible. One knock against them is they are expensive. So it is nice to see that they are getting funding and they are thinking of how to open up access to this type of experience, which really is transformative. According to this article, they're 
currently valued at 800 million, which is, is pretty striking if you think about it. Number seven is a kid's company about. This is one that friend of the show and my co-host for Running It Back, the Lessons Learned from Sports podcast, Tarlin Ray. He was a, a co-panelist with me down here at South by Southwest TDU. I know he's a big proponent and supporter of a kid's company about. They began as a kid's book about publishing zeitgeisty books. This, again, this is in the article, well-written using one of my favorite adjectives, zeitgeisty books that sought to make societal issues digestible for school-age kids and help parents have conversations about some of these more challenging issues, including racism, sexual abuse, gender identity. They began with books. Now they are launching a streaming platform. They are a Black-owned company, a Black-owned media brand that now caters to all ages. They have a podcast network. We will be getting in touch with them. And because I have an in with Tarlin, I'm hoping we can get them on the show. Nearly half of a kid's company about authors are from underrepresented groups. And they are partnering with hopefully future friend of the show, LeVar Burton. I was pulling for him on the Jeopardy host wars. Sadly, they did not make the right choice in my estimation. I know he has a book called the Rhino That Swallowed the Storm that I've been meaning to check out for my son. We have some ties into Reading is Fundamental. Reading is Fundamental. We recently had a panel with them. If you haven't checked that out, it's a really interesting one. If you, you want to be inspired, we had Orion John, Time Magazine's Kid of the Year on as a panelist. Other fantastic children's book authors like LeVar. But he's also partnering with a kid's company about on a new title, a kid's book about imagination, you know, I'll be tracking that one down. Number eight is a company called Sketchy, which is one I've tracked since my days at Kaplan Test Prep. They began by creating great images and learning materials, visual aids for medical students who have a, a really challenging road to hoe trying to pass the USMLE medical licensing boards. And they've also extended into MCAT prep. Since launching in 2013, they've helped over 300,000 students become doctors. And now is used by, wow, I'm just reading this out of this article, used by 77% of all medical students in the U.S. That's incredible penetration. And understanding that market, those are highly discerning learners. They talk to each other. They go to where the best products are. And Sketchy has made a move, you know, we've talked from a learning science perspective many times about the picture superiority effect and the dual coding principle. There are many concepts in learning science that reinforce the importance of processing information in more than one way and how if you can pair great visual materials with great instructional audio or instructional text, that deepens the processing and helps you understand things at a much more advanced level. You add to that the, the complex visual landscape of things like molecular genetics and anatomy and organic chemistry, physics, you name it. All these things involve a rich understanding of information that is probably best expressed visually. And it's a credit to Sketchy that they've been able to carve out such a dominant stake in this space that now increasingly 
other test prep providers are partnering with Sketchy rather than trying to stand up their own independent capability there. Something that you see increasingly across innovative companies is that new entrants are entering into spaces, focusing on a specific niche and carving out from the prior industry leaders. So in the case of medical test preparation, which in many ways is also just medical education, frankly, because there's only so many places where you get this education. One is when you're preparing for these exams and the other is frequently on the job. It's a credit to Sketchy that they've been able to both understand this opportunity and then to create a really compelling product that is moving the needle in terms of providing effective instruction to a really discerning, competitive, and driven market. Number nine is Reed, which is a South Korean-based startup that uses artificial intelligence to help students improve their performance on critical tests. The company began in South Korea and Japan, helping teach English for the test of English for international communication, also known as the TOEIC. Folks in the U.S. may be more familiar with the TOEFL. Much like Duolingo, they're a technology-based language learning company, and they're leveraging AI to provide personalized recommendations, try to disrupt and perhaps enhance the tutoring market, which English language tutoring and the tutoring business, uh, particularly in South Korea and East Asia, is huge. According to this article, they've tutored more than 3 million students since they launched their tutoring business in 2021. And according to the company's user data, the average TOEIC test score rises 165 points out of a possible 990 with the help of Reed's app. It's Reed, R-I-I-D. I only thought it was two I's. It's actually three. So remember that the number nine company on the list. I was struck by how much test prep was appearing in the innovation space here from Fast Company. As someone who worked in test prep for many years for Kaplan, I was really struck by the level to which Fast Company was identifying test prep companies, generally technology-driven test prep companies, as some of the forefront innovators in the world of education. I got to say, I'm not particularly surprised just because I understand that Retail education, which is the way I think of test prep, having worked in it for many years, is honed and sharpened in ways that the rest of the educational ecosystem frequently isn't in that if you don't actually produce results, your products and your business will fail. It's as simple as that. If you can't improve scores, your test prep company, your test prep product, your technology will not be successful. The good news is it can be measured. So if you do develop the good practices and the design thinking and the iterative, responsive, digitally powered strategy, you can ultimately succeed, but it is a very competitive landscape. And it's one that I'm, I'm increasingly curious about, even though I'm happily somewhat removed from the day-to-day -day complexities and challenges of the world of test preparation these days. We'll be talking to these companies and, and probably start to bring some of our old friends from test prep in different capacities back in to weigh into this conversation. Because when you think about innovation, you think about the future of learning. 
Many times folks are being measured based on performance on these tests, even as test optional and other trends, other macro trends are happening on grading, a lot of the criticisms around the, the testing industry. At the end of the day, we still need to assess whether people have established these competencies or not. When you're trying to develop the skills to be able to master those tests and perform at your best, frequently something that is app-based, technology-driven, leveraging AI, many of these attributes are likely to power the future of learning. And in many cases, it's some of these innovative companies may be taking the lead. The last of the 10 listed in the article is PowerSchool, which is another one that's been around for quite some time. I'm always curious to see how older companies, how companies that have been around for a longer period of time, in the case of PowerSchool, they were founded way back in 1997. How do they stay relevant? How do they refresh even their culture? Many times you need a strong culture to survive that long. But the, the problem with the culture that's been around for a long time is that it can get stuck in a bit of a rut of continuing to run the plays that were successful 10, 15, 20 years ago without the fresh disruptive energy that is needed to continue to compete in the transformative times that we're living through. Power School was founded back in 1997 and in 2021, after a series of purchases, they launched a new version of Unified Classroom, which is a more integrated learning management and student information platform streamlined and refined. They've inked contracts in Texas and nearly 30 other states across North America. Last summer, they went public and they currently have a valuation of more than 3 billion, generating $558 million, the 28% year-over-year increase over 434 million in 2020. So that's a quick run through the list. Again, credit to Fast Company, a company I've, I've loved really throughout my professional life. They've been around for quite some time, but they have been able to stay current, stay ahead of what's emerging. Also, shout out to Pavitra, who I will reach out to as a follow-up to this episode to both appreciate the work and offer an opportunity for a follow-up conversation in an upcoming episode. But there you have it. According to Fast Company, the top 10 most innovative education companies in 2022. Be on the lookout for Palmer Media cracking the top 10 in 2023. Our work is cut out for us, but with your help, we can get there. Also for our listeners, I'd love to hear from you, especially if you're a user of any of these products, or if you're the user of other products that you think deserve to be on this list, or you think will be on this list in upcoming years, or if you think any of these companies really don't deserve to be on this list, I'd love to hear more from you about that. One thing that was really refreshing and engaging about being at South by Southwest EDU is the level to which it's a multi-way conversation. We're hearing different voices in the conversation. And at times, podcasts become too unidirectional. So if you have any input, if you'd like to engage, I'd love to hear from you. Um, Michael Palmer on LinkedIn. We're at Trending in Ed on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Check us out, subscribe, share the good word. We'll be back from the friendlier confines of Brooklyn, although I love Austin. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>